from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Yeah, this week uh, we get the Fed's preferred inflation measure on Friday. Um, that tends to be a little lower and less volatile than the CPI. My guess is it'll be more tame. That'll certainly get a lot of attention because, you know, even though I think the all the attention on inflation and the Fed is maybe right now overdone, that's really the big, <laughs> the big data point this right. week. And so you're going to get more overdone attention on the Fed and on inflation. Well, Jeff. Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship yesterday. Was the bookbinder house jumping up and down in joy for the uh, big victory from Phil? Old lefty? Oh, I like Phil. I'm, I'm happy for him. I got to admit, I was a little skeptical uh, earlier in the tournament that he'd be able to hold on. Um, yeah. I think it's a, a victory for all 50-year-olds. I'm one of those. So uh, right. maybe, maybe I'll use this as uh, motivation. Maybe I'm just hitting my peak now. Yeah, you've celebrated your 50 not too long ago. So you see something like Phil, the oldest person to ever win a major. I always thought Jack was the oldest, but apparently not. There were two others that were actually older. He's the oldest to win the Masters. Um, but Phil, you know, if you talk about um, the Grand Slam, he's never won the U.S. Open. That's at Torrey Pines later this year. Uh, so that's um, going to be really exciting. And, you know, my boys, they, they it, like literally – right to my right there's a golden tee video game one of those small ones that you can buy and put together put it together during a pandemic so my boys like to play that but they're not too in the golf but yesterday when phil was leading i said we got to watch this boys and they they were pretty excited it was it was a fun fun experience to see phil uh, pull it off and in my home state of south carolina nonetheless that was really cool now jeff we wouldn't be doing people justice if we didn't do what i'm about to do here we call our show market signals now here's the market signals now compliance probably wants me to point this out never invest on if lefty wins a major let's get that clear but with that out of the way <laughs> the previous five times that phil won a one i keep saying a masters it's funny guys before we this is the second try. I said Phil won the Masters. I don't know why I want to keep saying that. But the previous five times that Phil won a major, probably because major and Masters sound alike. But anyway, nonetheless, um, the stock market was higher. 2004, he won the Masters. S&P gained 9%. 2005, he won the PGA for the full year. Gained 3% S&P. Masters again in 2006, almost 14% gain. Uh, Masters again in 2010, almost a 13% gain for the S&P. Big one, British Open 2013. S&P gained almost 30%. He just shot six under, won the PGA Championship by two strokes. Who knows where the future will go? And we are still fairly bullish, which is something we're going to talk about here. Um, but I guess we'll say Phil winning did little to um, hurt the Bulls' chances, I guess. Um, now, Jeff, with that out of the way, who's, who's one of your favorite golfers of all time? Who, who do you like to watch and root for when you're actually playing, when you're watching the TV there? Oh, well, Bryson DeChambeau is a lot of fun to watch right now. Mm hmm. I would say, um, yeah, beyond that, uh, you know, historically, I, I don't really have one. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I root for the Americans, yep. uh, probably, right. you know, certainly um, more than anybody else. How about yourself? Do you have yeah. one? Well, I was a huge VJ Singh fan back in the day. I just loved his backspin. I, I liked VJ Singh a lot. I, I like John Daly. I don't, I don't know <laughs> who doesn't like John Daly, just all the ups and downs rooting for John Daly. And yeah, I mean, I, the truth is I don't watch golf as much lately now with Tiger not being quite as well, I guess he won not too long ago, but ever since Tiger's kind of gone downhill, I kind of stopped watching golf as much. It feels like I'm always on the weekends running around with kids. Um, but like you said, kind of root for the Americans and, and nonetheless, Phil, all he, all he's been through and he's changed 
his body. It's amazing. Diet and exercise and things. It, it works. I mean, he looks different than he did a couple of years ago. So congrats to him. And uh, Jeff, with that, let's get into the LPL Market Signals podcast. And I dropped my papers here. Give me one second. I get so excited talking about Phil. I just drop everything here. Um, you know, so this week in the LPL Market Signals podcast, we're going to focus on a couple different things. Um, you know, first things first, the stocks outlook for the rest of this year, right? Kind of where, where we see stocks. We talk about stocks all the time, but now a big, broad look at kind of where we are and where we potentially could be going. Um, taper talk. There is a lot of talk. Is it time to finally start to taper? And um, is, it, is it coming a little sooner than we expected? That was in the news last week. Going to dig in there. And then lastly, going to have an interesting discussion on EFA and developed international for years. Um, you know, Europe and developed international parts of EFA have really underperformed the United States. Honestly, maybe you could say for decades. There are some things that are changing there. We're going to talk about um, maybe some signs that show maybe some potential for some, finally, some outperformance from those parts of the world. Uh, but Jeff, again, before we go there, we're going to touch very briefly on our injuries. How is your ankle holding up? Much better. I, uh, I'm not 100%, but I probably moved up to maybe 85, 90. How about the back? Yeah, back still hurts. I did the MRI last Tuesday. I get the results this Tuesday. I have no idea why it takes. A, I couldn't get into my doctor for a week, so I got to wait to hear what the MRI said. I will say this morning when I got up, it didn't hurt as much. I think like every week. Remember two weeks ago when we did this podcast, I said I didn't even literally sleep like the entire night because I was in such agony. I slept just fine last night. Last night. So again, I guess every week or so, I feel like I'm going the right way, but I'm just sitting in this, actually, it's very uncomfortable chair, so partially probably my problem here. But uh, yeah, just it's low, low, a, a one or two sting as I sit here. It's just kind of what it is. But as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go back to laying on the floor in my stomach. Maybe I should do a podcast from my stomach. That's honestly where I work all day as I lay, lay on my floor. I'm going to go to the office later. I stand all day on our standing desk we have at the office here in Fort Mill. But anyway, Anyway, we're getting a little bit better. So that's the update. So Jeff, this week in our weekly market commentary, which people should be able to hear by the time they listen to this podcast, wherever, um, or no, I was going to say wherever you get your favorite podcast, but you're listening to our podcast, you can get our weekly market commentary on LPL.com, just right on the main page, scroll down there. Um, you know, we talk, take a look at the, uh, the equity markets, right? We've had this historic run. You and I talk about it every single week, how stocks just continue to do well, maybe some consolidation, maybe a pullback makes sense here, but still things look good big picture i'm going to be quiet jeff for a little bit because you put together this week's commentary I'll, I'll turn it over to you i thought this is a really really timely piece and really important piece because again what are stocks going to do <laughs> at the end of the day is probably the number one question we receive there's lots of other questions but what's the market going to do how do my investments look is the number one question and this is what we're going to answer or at least try to answer uh take it away jeff yeah so we know this has been one of the strongest starts ever to a bull market um you know those of you watching can see all these dark blue bars, a lot of really, really strong um, year ones, right? We just came off of 70% plus year one. Then the question is, well, what happens year two? So this started March 23rd of this year. It's the start of year two. Uh, and you can see from the chart, more moderate gains, right? So it's reasonable to expect um, more moderate gains. The average year two bull markets up 13%. We, if you look at just the average bull markets, uh, year twos that follow 30% declines. So you have a 30% bear market, not a 20. The average gain is closer to 17%. And that's close to what we think we'll get uh, this year. That means we have maybe another five, or at least in the next uh, 10 months, we've probably got another six, 7% to go 
we think that's a reasonable expectation for year two. Now, the other piece of this chart is average pullbacks, right? Year two bull markets tend to see a maximum drawdown of about 10%. Uh, we would argue that we might not see that much of a drawdown. The year to date, the biggest one we've had is four because we have so much stimulus still working its way through the economy. And we have this massive economic acceleration because of the reopening and the vaccine and all of that. So, um, you know, maybe something in the five to 7% range is, is all that we'll get this year. Let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing when you see, we get little pullbacks, right? I mean, last week, for instance, look at the equities Monday, Tuesday, the first part of Wednesday were kind of ugly, right? Markets went down for a change. Um, we rallied late in the week, but like on Wednesday specifically, you look at like put to call ratios. I and mean, we saw a ton of fear come into the market and just a relatively modest pullback. I still remember vividly, right? I know most of us do late January when GameStop mania took over and GameStop was going up and everyone, the market was selling off because everybody was wondering or was worried which big institutions are on the wrong side of just getting blown up here and how many dominoes are going to fall we corrected like five percent on the s p and it was a really really scary five percent right so it's like we get these sell-offs and everybody becomes super bearish i mean everyone says oh i'm bullish i'm bullish and then you start to get a little weakness and we all remember i guess what happened last time we had some weakness back in you know whatever 14 15 months ago in march and and that's from that bullish contrarian point of view a good thing right i think the worst thing not the worst but something we don't want to see we have a four or five percent correction and people aren't really getting scared Oh, don't worry about it. Just buy buy the dip, buy the dip, right? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of buy the dip mentality still, but just to see last Wednesday how fearful people got on, you know, I think about a four, maybe four and a half percent correction, give or take, on the S and P, it was um, a positive, at least in my view. And the other thing, Jeff, I'll point out again on the YouTube channel, we're showing it. Year two of a bull market has never been lower since World War II. How many do we have here, Jeff? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, so this is the 11th. This is the 11th bull market, at least back to 1950, I guess. And we found that year two was higher every single time. Some of those times went up by much. The one I really look at is 83, right? 82, huge bull market. Economy wasn't even that great. It was kind of like what we saw last year. Stocks up a huge. Everybody's wondering what in the world's going on. Look at all this inflation. Look at everything. Everything's terrible. But the market saw better times ahead. Economy got better in 83, but stocks didn't really do all that much. And again, we're off to a good start here, but just kind of interesting that some type of potential... Um, Oh, um, mirror image, I guess you could say, of a good economy, uh, a terrible economy. Stocks did well. Now, a good economy and, and stocks didn't do quite as well in 83, although we think there's a little more juice this time because of all the fiscal and monetary stimulus. Uh, so year two is usually pretty bullish. Jeff, any other comments on year two or we can go to the next slide, which is earnings? Yeah, I, I think uh, that 2009 bull is, is one that mm -hmm. you know people are watching. So based on that experience, uh, we yeah. think we can have a, um, a pretty solid year two. Yeah, yeah. We did see what I guess about a 16 and a half, 17 percent or so correction in the summer, spring, summer of 2010 um, after about a 70 percent rally, you know, to kick off that. And this one obviously was up closer to 90 um, in, in, in um, from the lows to the peak. But still, um, you know, with all the stimulus and things that are there, we're a little optimistic. We won't see, quite see a 17 percent correction. Um, so, Jeff, earnings drive long term stock gains. It feels like every week for five weeks, you and I have talked about earnings, how they keep coming in better than everybody expected. We're seeing that once again. You want to build a little bit more on kind of the earnings season that just ended and kind of big picture where we see earnings this year and into next year. Yeah, we, we could have done the whole podcast just on the records 
broken. Yeah. This yeah. It's, it's really remarkable. We'll go through them real fast. So, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest beat rate for earnings and revenues ever recorded by FactSet, the biggest upside surprise in revenue, right? So about four percentage points uh, bigger than expected. Uh, we almost had the biggest upside surprise ever in earnings, um, but fell about a half a percent short, really close. But, you know, earnings were about, you know, 23% above expectations uh, overall when earnings season began. So we're going to end up with a 51, 52% increase in earnings uh, year over year for Q1. Earnings season is basically over. You know, that was incredibly impressive, but probably just as impressive as how estimates continued to move higher. So consensus is now looking for mid 30s uh, earnings growth for the S&P 500 in 2021. You know, that's up about 12 percentage points year to date. So just remarkable. That's what we've highlighted on this chart for those watching. Right, Not only are earnings expected to be up a ton this year, but they've been revised significantly higher. This is this is unusually strong uh, earnings momentum. And we'll probably add, you know, double-digit earnings growth next year as this you know reopening continues and the economy really gets going uh, full speed. So the earnings outlook is really bright and uh, that allows you to you know build a strong foundation underneath the stock market even though you have high valuations. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned that stat a couple of weeks ago. I want to point it out one more time. So earnings estimates so far this year are up about 12%. S&P 500, like as we speak, is up like 11 or 12%. So one could say, yeah, stocks were kind of pricey coming into this year. It's one of the concerns. Valuations are high. You have to consider record, you know, low interest rates and record low inflation. Inflation's uh, starting to come back a little bit, which in a vacuum, one it tells you one thing. But again, with low rates and low inflation, you should have a little higher multiple. But the bottom line, again, is if stocks were pricey to start the year, they're just about where they were, or maybe a tad cheaper. And I don't think most people understand that or realize that. But when you see earnings up like that, that is exactly uh, what it tells you. So, Jeff, before we go forward, I mean, you know, let, let's talk just for a little bit about uh, building an allocation and looking at portfolios. What got me last week, and we're going to talk about tapering next. So just be, be aware there's talk of tapering. Yet all of a sudden, late in the week, Growth did a little bit better and technology did a little bit better, which people reached out to me and said, how in the world can we be hinting at tapering? Wouldn't that mean buying less bonds? Wouldn't that mean, you know, potentially higher interest rates, um, which apparent, which we've been told since April, growth stocks don't like, tech stocks hate, yet tech went up. I mean, what's your take? What should we do with tech? The biggest component, the, where the earnings are coming from, it's underperformed. The second half of this year, how do you see tech playing out and then maybe growth value? Yeah, we... We've cooled on tech a bit because of this rotation. You know the, um, you know the reopening has really and inflation and fear of rising interest rates has really driven cyclical value. Um, so that's your you know energy materials, industrials, and and to a large extent financials. So we're leaning more in that direction. That means we favor value over growth, not dramatically so, uh, but are definitely leaning in that direction as we. You know, move through this inflationary period, we potentially get higher interest rates, and um, you know the economic growth starts to slow down maybe later this year. I mean, remember we're we're probably you know we grew thirty three percent GDP last last year, uh, second quarter. We're not going to do that again, but this is the peak of this year, right? We're potentially going to grow GDP in Q two, the current quarter, by ten percent. That's really strong growth. That tends to give the value stocks. Um, and a lot of those in the sectors that I just mentioned, a bit of a tailwind. 
So that's where we're, we're leaning uh, right now, leaning value, favoring cyclical value sectors. Now, you know, tech's not gonna go quietly. Interest rates are still low. They haven't really moved much. The 10 year yields at right around right. 160. Right. Now, which is part of the why tech did well to you know finish out last week, uh, in my view. So uh, as long as interest rates are stable, tech will still do fine. Fundamentals are still great. Tech grew revenue faster than any sector in the S and P last quarter. So you know don't count tech out. We're not saying you know sell all your tech holdings and head for the hills. It's it's uh, the fundamentals are still really really good. Sector is probably still reasonably valued, and. Um, you know, it's just a, the, the victim of a rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how quickly that rotation's taking place. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw some of the largest outflows from technology funds that we've seen since December of 2018. And then the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, where the managers that manage oh, approximately over $600 billion, um, you know, tech, the tech overweight that they're recommending is at a three-year low. So long story short, tech's underperformed, yes, but all of a sudden everybody's kind of saying, we don't like it, we don't like it, we don't like it. And again, we're somewhat in that camp, but if there's 11 S&P 500 sectors, I'd say tech's, you know, maybe six or seven, maybe five, six or seven, rank, rank five, six or seven. We're not throwing it out. And again, it's um, still a big part of it, but that's an, I didn't realize that. So that had the, let's say that one more time, tech had the best revenue or the best beat to revenue. What did you say there exactly, Jeff? The, the strongest revenue growth of okay. any sector. Wow. Well, there you go. That's <laughs> that's impressive. Um, so it's clearly some solid fundamental, very solid fundamentals there on on tech. So great discussion there. Again, check out LPL.com. Scroll down just a little bit. You'll see the weekly market commentary there and you can read um, kind of our outlook on stocks here, where they are right now, where they might be going. Oh, and I guess on the YouTube channel, Jeff, I, I, I mixed it up here, but we do share our recent, our last, our final earnings season dashboard. You kind of talked about some of this stuff. We show revenue growth again, 10.7 all-time record. Earnings growth, EPS up over 51.5%. Just truly mind-boggling. Literally broke the scale. We had the scale only going to uh, 40%. We had to redo it. And then 87% of companies beat on earnings and 78% beat on revenue. Just truly um, amazing all around. Now we do have some good news. Uh, partially one of the good things about a bull market is assets go higher at LPL research, um, an LPL financial, I should say, as of the end of April, this is officially out there. So I'm not saying anything. It's not um, out there. I saw a Yahoo article <laughs> talking about it today. We crossed $1 trillion and on YouTube channel. I've got the Austin Powers, Dr. Evil with the $1 trillion. Um, you know, so it's really cool. I mean, Jeff, you've been with LPL. I think it's 16 or 17 years approximately. You remember what the assets were when you started? If we just crossed a trillion, what, what's, it, what's that growth been like? Oh, wow. Um, I would say probably in the couple hundred billion range at mm-hmm. most. Yeah. When I started, um, I know we, you know, now we have about 18,000 advisors. I think back right. then we had about 2,500. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, we assume we do it eventually, I guess. Um, so it's really cool and it's a really great honor. It's something that we're all really proud of. And it's just um, kind of what we do at LPL research is try to help our advisors, help their clients. And um you know, um, tell, tell, tell stories and, and give examples and, and make it easier to understand what's going on right now. 
but also work with really smart other portfolio managers and strategists and manage real money for real people. And that's one cool thing about, I think, this podcast, right? What Jeff and I are talking about, we're not just pontificating and saying <laughs> how we position growth value. It has impacts, positive and negative, right? We, we manage a lot of money. And what we talk about here, we're sitting on the same side of the table as everybody listening, because again, we manage this money. And this is how we see things potentially playing out and how we, uh, how we um, are positioning the portfolios and models we run for our advisors and their clients. So Jeff, let's talk about tapering. Last week, um, the Fed minutes came out, and I guess the summary was the Fed is open to talking about talking about tapering. And on the YouTube channel, I've got the, the famous um, what you talking about, Willis, but it says what you talking about tapering. Because Jeff, my take is this: the market seemed a little, at least the media, maybe not the market, the media seemed a little caught off guard. We actually kind of started the rally after the minutes the last couple of days. And what some people were surprised that tapering's coming or tapering might be happening later this year. We've been talking about that forever. I mean, what, should we have been surprised or what's your take on when tapering might actually happen here? Yeah, we're still in a, in a point where it doesn't really matter what the Fed says. They're going to stick to their story. Right. It's too early, right? They're saying we're going to start talking about, talking about, talking about, and all of that. It's just, um, I mean, frankly, all the attention on, on, on the verbiage is, to me, uh, a little bit silly. What we want to do is wait for inflation to actually show up and, and then you know evaluate how sticky that is. And we're just... I mean, we're barely at the start of that, that, that process. So, you know, the question of when, when might they taper? And by the way, that I mean, this it's widely expected, right? We're, you know, the financial media is talking about it every day. Strategists talking about it every day. Maybe early 2022. Now, if inflation really heats up and the Fed gets more nervous about it, you could potentially taper in December, right? Kind of reminds me of December 2018 when yeah. the Fed you know, moved a little too quick and spooked the markets and we had that big sell-off, right? Hopefully that doesn't happen again. I think they learned their lesson, mm -hmm. but that's probably about as early as it would happen. And once they announce they're going to do it, it's probably going to be a year before they actually get to the rate hikes. So yeah, maybe this I is going to play out over a, a long period of time. Yeah, maybe I'll take a step back. So what is tapering, right? So I might be hearing Jeff and I talk like, you know, we talk about this stuff all the day. So the Fed currently buys $120 billion worth of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities every single month, 80 billion treasuries and 40 billion mortgage-backed securities. And in, in essence, they're trying to keep rates low, right? Or they're trying to help stimulate the economy by keeping rates low. Tapering simply means the economy is getting better. They don't need to be buying that many assets every single month. So they might drop it to 100, might drop it to 80, and eventually they continue to drop. So we'll, we'll see. That's what tapering means. And again, there's a lot of smart people out there. Stanley Druckenmiller made a lot of noise just two weeks ago saying, listen, the Fed is acting like this is an emergency. I mean, you guys seen the economic data? It's not an emergency anymore. Um, so that's some good arguments on that side of things. And that's the whole thing. Are we going to overheat? Are we going to have too much inflation with all the stimulus that's out there? Does the Fed need to keep doing this? Um, you know, good, good arguments all around. But the truth, again, is the Fed's probably going to start to taper. One thing, Jeff, that I read, our friends at Strategus pointed this out, and I never thought of this. They said maybe later this year, the Fed might start to just switch. They'll keep buying 120, 120 billion a month, but maybe they'll drop how much they're buying mortgage backs and continue to buy treasuries to kind of change the, the way they're 
buying things. But again, likely the, the, the Jackson Hole Symposium, which is put on by your Kansas City Fed, is later this summer. And it's pretty widely expected the Fed there will at least announce, hey, tapering's coming later this year, early next year. Give the market a plenty of time. I mean, it's incredible. Um, Jerome Powell, on his business card, it should say 60 Minutes correspondent. Because the guy's on 60 Minutes more than anybody in the world. And it, he'll probably go on 60 Minutes again and talk about tapering and make it very, very clear what the Fed is up to. So I don't think the Fed's going to catch anyone off guard here. And the ECB, some of the ECB governors are saying some of the same things. Inflation is transitory. Yeah, we have it now because a lot of the bottlenecks and the, the potential labor shortages, but it's going to uh, change. So really interesting discussion there. But again, one that I don't think should have caught too many people off guard. And I guess we are sharing now on the YouTube channel, just kind of the overall Fed balance sheet. Again, they own over $7 trillion of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, and it continues to grow. But again, tapering simply means that'll start to uh, uh, go lower, right? And again, uh, potentially start to at least the the um, the 45 degree angle of buying, it'll start to, to uh, taper off. Yeah, there you go, taper off a little bit and eventually uh, somewhat go lower. You can see what the Fed balance sheets did. I mean, Jeff, my takeaway is this. I mean, people don't like the Fed a lot of times. I, I get that. I present a lot. And, you know, is the Fed behind the eight ball? Why is the Fed doing this? My take is this, you know, as stewards of assets, right, our job is to listen to the signals of the market. And what do we see last decade? When the Fed keeps rates low and the Fed expands their balance sheet, that historically is bullish for risk assets, specifically stocks. So we're still in that world for the time being. And until we see concrete data or the Fed concrete saying what they're going to do and change things, it's, um, again, more of a tailwind, not a headwind. Anything to add on that, Jeff? And then we'll go to the next subject. Yeah, I mean, they might only be pushing rates down, you know, 50 basis points with, with yeah. all of this. And so, you know, even a 10 year yield on the treasury of 2.1 is not outrageous, right? I mean, that's probably something we should talk to our fixed income strategist, Lawrence Gilm about, but um, you know, even if you assume 50 to 75 basis points higher, if the Fed wasn't buying, that's mm -hmm. still a reasonable rate. So, you know, uh, the basically the market is probably overdoing the Fed fears right now. I, right. It's just you know too early to to get too nervous about them falling behind the curve in in, in my view. Yeah, and one one other interesting thing on this, maybe we'll, then we'll uh, put a bow on this. Um, different Fed governors were in the news last week for giving their opinions on where things are, and we're we're starting to see some of the Fed governors be a little more, you know. I don't know how to put it, kind of outside the box of what Jerome Powell is saying. Um, Fed Governor Har Harker said that the Fed should talk about tapering sooner than later. So he's saying we should start talking about it more outwardly. And then uh, Dallas Fed Governor Kaplan said it's starting to feel differently about the balance between the side effects, positive and negative, uh, from QE. Now, what's interesting to me about that is those two Fed governors are non-voting members. So the non-voting guys are out there saying one thing. The voting members all seem to be sticking together for the most part. This could change i mean believe me every day could be different i just found that somewhat interesting um so jeff let's say we have higher inflation we wrote a blog on this lplresearch.com uh, i think last wednesday it was a pretty well received blog and it's relatively simple the question we ask with a really complicated answer if we see more inflation which we're starting to and again our base case this is transitory once these bottlenecks and employment issues work their way out um we, we, we probably will see yeah maybe two and a half percent inflation going out into the future um but that's more than the less than two percent we saw the last several years but it's not gonna be like five six seven 
10% inflation, like some people are worried about. But Jeff, let's say we're kind of, you know, maybe we're a little wrong and maybe we see three, three and a half percent inflation for a couple years going out. Where are some potential places you think you wish someone should construct a portfolio or at least tilt their portfolio to benefit from higher inflation? Sure. Well, on the equity side, natural resources are the obvious place to go, right? That's where some of the inflation will actually be, uh, higher commodity prices. Uh, industrials tend to have pretty high correlation to natural resources, so you'd expect that to do well. And then if rates rise, yep. as inflation's rising, that should help financials. Um, on the fixed income side, you know, tips make a lot of sense, of course, uh, because they have that inflation piece, that inflation kicker built in uh, to treasuries, but there's still, you know, those are very, very high quality, low yielding, um, you know, defensive assets. Yeah. And so don't expect much return there. Uh, and then in general, you, you know, you probably want to have less interest rate sensitivity in your credit, right? In your corporate bonds or your bank loans, right? And so mm -hmm. certainly um, bank loans and intermediate or short maturity corporates um, we think makes some sense in an inflationary environment as well. And then last thing, you know, um, I have a study, uh, you know, again, our friends at Strategist looked at correlations to CPI mm -hmm. for the S&P 500 sectors. And interestingly, consumer staples is the best in inflationary environments. Now, we wouldn't necessarily run out and buy consumer staples, but if you're nervous about inflation and you're nervous about volatility, uh, maybe, you know, food products, consumer products, things like that in the consumer uh, staple sector makes some sense here. Yeah, interesting. Uh, consumer staples didn't see that. But I mean, historically, again, a little more inflation, you'd think makes sense for value to do a little bit better because some of those groups you just mentioned there, energy, materials, tangible assets, um, you know, real estate potentially, and and, and financials if, if yields go higher. So again, that's kind of the tilt we're in. So we're not saying we see runaway inflation, but it, interestingly, kind of the way uh, we're talking about constructing our models for our more than 18,000 advisors, you could say we're I'm not saying we're totally protected from massive runaway inflation, but we, we, we are we're, we're sitting a little prettier than, than if not. And that's kind of how we uh, how we see things there. Um, and again, tips just for those who, who know, don't know uh, tips are called Treasury inflation protected securities. Again, real simple here. They're bonds, but if CPI goes up, you get a little more interest back. So if inflation goes up, you get paid a little bit more. Real easy way to put it. So if they're going to have more inflation, inflation eats away at the principle that bonds have and the payments that they make. That's a good way to protect yourself. Um, so Jeff, a little personal note here. It was a great season for the killer bees. That's my son, Gus. He's nine. Um, we had a huge upset. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest upset in sports history, you think? Um, Oh, U.S. Oh, over the Soviet Union. Yeah, that's it. U.S. over Soviet. So we, we were close. Yeah, well, Saturday was close. It wouldn't, wasn't quite there, I guess, but <laughs> it was close. We, we were the four seed. We played the one seed. Who was They did have one loss on the year. We tied them the first time, but they won the league last year. We were the four seed. We weren't expected to win. We did. We won. The boys played great, and we, we, we Gus played the hustled on their best player. Um, Gavin did really amazing and traded great. They're going to love hearing their names on this. Coach Danny, um, Coach Anthony, we all put our heads together, came up with a good game plan, and we beat the number one team. The problem was we had another game on Sunday, and I think we felt so good about beating that team. We just we just couldn't get anything going on Sunday, and we did lose yesterday in the U9 Tiga K Championship uh, for soccer. But it was a fun season, and, um, you know, 
all you can say is get them next year. You know, I said, we've got a lot of second place medals in this Dietrich household. We got a few first place, but it seems like we get, we get second a lot, but it was a lot of fun. And just the fact that we finished fourth, but Hey, we beat the number one team. It was, uh, it was a good one. Um, and you know, just proof that, Hey, let's like Phil being a little bit older and us not being the, the top seed or the second top seed, just, just show up and do your best and good things hopefully will happen to you. Uh, so with that, Jeff, we're going to go to the final discussion. Uh, define, is it potentially finally time for developed international, otherwise known as EFA? But, um, you know, we've got on the YouTube channel, I've got a bunch of flags there. And Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot because you did not see this coming. I've got a bunch of developed international there. One of those flags is not a developed country. <laughs> see, I'm really putting you in spots. So sorry about this. Do you know which flag on the YouTube channel? And if you're watching along on your channel, you can play you can play this game too. Which flag is not a developed country? Do you know? Oh man, it's in I know. Asia. Sorry, is it is it Korea? No, no, or China. No, 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 no. Uh, bottom right on the bottom right there. That is Argentina. Argentina is not a developed country. So that was the Argentina flag. The rest of those flags are actually all developed countries. Sorry, that was kind of a low blow there, but I thought it was kind of a Why'd you put Argentina in there? I mean, nothing Uh, against Argentina, but- I was trying to make it so obvious they weren't with the rest of them that you might notice. That's why I was trying to help you. I tried to help. I, I like, really well, admit yeah, I had no idea no at all. That, that's why I did it. But no idea anyway. what the Argentinian flag looked like. Yeah, well, good, good call there. I guess I didn't. I know Diego Maradona, right? The, the hand of God. I know. I guess from that, I remember that's their color with their jerseys. That's the only reason I know that. Um, but anyway, so Jeff, um, after yeah, I've been with LPL for five years, right? Or five and a half years. You've been a little bit longer, but the five years I've been here, we've been underweight, developed international, specifically Europe, for as long as I can remember, and it's benefited us, right? A lot of our peers and competitors have been overweight and it hasn't done well now we're starting to shift i mean the conversations we are having on our team on our different internal discussions we have for hours on end uh, i shouldn't say hours on end they're fun discussions but for hours we talk about this stuff with our team about how we're constructing these models and i've never heard us talk this optimistically about developed international i mean we're ready to jump in with both feet but we are clearly seeing just some signs of um some light i guess we'll say so jeff um, kind of build on that theme what what do we what are we seeing that that um has changed our tune, I guess, from the last five years, at least that I've been with LPL. Yeah. I mean, well, the biggest thing is it's a more value friendly environment, right? And so, you know, the developed international markets are more value oriented. Um, So uh, right there you go. So this is, I mean, just look at, you know, you basically got 40% tech and S and P 500 and in the EM index, emerging Mm -hmm. markets index, and you only have about 11%. Um, in uh, in the EFA, if you include the digital media and e-commerce, that's not in tech, not classified mm-hmm. as as tech. So that's right. that's the biggest reason. I mean, you also have um, a cycle that's later, right? So um, in the U.S., well, China was really first, right? China came out of the pandemic first and saw um, a boom in economic growth as they recovered. The U.S. and you know Israel and U.K. are kind of the next up, right? Yep. And so you've seen some you know really strong um, vaccine numbers and therefore um, economic uh, recovery in those areas. And what's next? Well, Japan and eurozone are probably next. So that's really what makes up the bulk of the MSI EFA index. So right. the fact that it's a value-friendly environment, in our view, and these economies are just starting to come out of the pandemic, whereas you know the U.S. is largely already out. 
suggests that those markets maybe have bigger gains ahead uh, than the U.S. does. And then emerging markets is more of a growth index. And so the rota rotation really works against EM, right? As everything reopens, commodities do well, industrials do well. Um, you know, EM is really tech heavy. So that's really what's going on there. In addition to just the fact that U.S.-China tensions certainly aren't abating as much maybe as some had thought. Uh, absolutely. And I know, you know, we saw some some data here from the um, OECD that kind of shows what you're talking about, where China and the U.S., um, you know, they've seen the most growth over the last six months. When you look at um, some of their leading indicators that we're seeing and you don't see as much in Europe and Japan and different areas. But again, you know, it's coming. Right. We've seen the, you can say we've seen the playbook, if you will. The playbook is, again, you get enough vaccines in people's arms. Things are going to open up. Economic activity is really going to spike. I mean, just last week in the U.S., we saw the market with an eye, the market PMI that came out for the U.S., like all-time high in, in services and in manufacturing, right? I mean, that's that's likely going to be something we probably see in Europe down the road when they start to um, reopen potentially. And the other thing I want to point out here, uh, just talking about bases, right, all about that base. I mean, Europe, literally, the stock 600 has gone nowhere since 2000, okay? So like, yeah, like a 21, 22-year base taking place. It's just now breaking out. So from a purely technical point of view, you know, the U.S. obviously has gone up a lot since then. Other parts of the world have gone up a lot since then. You could say there could be a lot of potential catch-up here um, from, from Europe specifically, the stock 600, which, again, has gone nowhere for a very long time and has finally broken out. And uh, so there's some technical momentum, uh, some potential fundamental momentum. How have earnings been in Europe, Jeff, relative to the U.S. and EM, I guess? How's that looking? Really good there, too. Yeah. yeah. Strong, very strong upside, very strong growth. Um, you know, EFA earnings were hit or Europe earnings were hit harder than the U.S., Mm -hmm. during the pandemic and now they're coming back um right you know a little bit stronger because the hole was deeper mm -hmm. yeah and i do on the youtube channel do have megan trainer had to google that one but she's the one that had that song all about that bass so again that's what i titled this all about that bass but it's a different spelling but about the 20 plus year bass and i'll tell you i'll tell you what jeff I, do your daughters listen to olivia rodrigo i think that's her name you ever heard of her does that ring a bell at all no, I don't uh, think so. I envy you. Apparently, she's got like my daughter said, like she this new album she has has like eleven songs. Apparently on Spotify, like all eleven songs are like the top twenty five downloaded. I guess because her album just came out. But so we drive in the car yesterday and the day before, and she's playing the same songs over and over. And I'm just like getting so sick of it. So anyway, some of you parents know exactly what I'm getting at here. The songs are all right, but after hearing like nine times in the car, I'm like, you got to turn this off. Olivia Rodrigo, she's very very popular, and um, anyway, kid, teenage girls like her love her um so <laughs> that's good you don't hear it jeff because uh, now i'm now i have it in my head playing in my head again it's like oh my goodness this is terrible we actually took her to get her uh first vaccine and it's like a um oh i don't know 16 minute drive 16 minute drive so 32 minutes and this whole album is only like 34 minutes with 11 songs real get to the point so we listened to the whole album yesterday and i'm absolutely sick of it um after hearing it all weekend as well so anyway enough about that but yeah it's from a technical point of view and fundamental point of view some pretty good things potentially coming out of europe now jeff maybe let's get let's get to the bottom line we manage a lot of money i just talked about it when are we going to start to really dip our toe you think in developed international we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel how we what are we thinking about with the models that we run when are we going to start to dip our toe in um significantly here or what do we need to see to do that i guess maybe oh we've been we've been buying yep um right you know we're pretty close to benchmark level now in the models that we run mm -hmm. specifically the tactical models where we 
you know, typically would trade quarterly on, um, you know, changes in our investment views. So, uh, so yeah, for folks who have very little developed international, we'd be, um, you know, looking at potentially uh, adding there. Uh, the bar is lower to keep up with the U.S. After mm-hmm. such a strong run in the U.S., we expect we talked about up front. We expect more modest gains going forward, and so maybe, you know, you get a little more catch up in the uh, developed international space, particularly uh, with uh, with Europe, which makes up the bulk of that index. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff there. So, Jeff, oh, and then, you know, two or three minutes or so, what do you think is going to drive markets? What's going to be in the headlines? What should people be, people be paying attention to uh, this week, which is, I guess, what, like the last week of May? Isn't that crazy? It's like the last week of May because next Monday is Memorial Day. Oh, by the way, we're going to take the week off. We will not have an LPL market. I know everyone's really sad hearing this. We will not have an LPL market signals podcast next week with the weekend. I'm going to try and get out a little bit early on Friday and enjoy the day on Monday. So we'll be back, though, in June, which just sounds crazy to say. But anyway, Jeff, what, what should we be watching this week to move markets? Maybe that week off will give us a chance to heal so we don't need any more injury updates. That's right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this week uh, we get the Fed's preferred inflation measure on Friday, uh, the personal mm-hmm. consumption expenditures uh, price index for April. So um, that tends to be a little lower and, you know, less volatile than the CPI. Uh, so, you know, my guess is it'll be more tame, but um, that'll certainly get a lot of attention because, you know, even though I think the all the attention on inflation and the Fed is maybe right now overdone. Mm-hmm. that's really the big, <laughs> the big data point this right. week. And so you're going to get more overdone attention on the Fed and on inflation um, this week. The other thing to watch, uh, I think I mentioned this last week, the, um, you know, in Washington, D.C., they're, they're debating and, you know, over this infrastructure uh, package. It's, it's possible we get a bipartisan uh, infrastructure deal um, in the next few weeks, but we would say that's unlikely. Uh, it looks like the two sides are far apart. So um, what's most interesting to me, though, is that once we get to the point where the Democrats are going to use reconciliation to do an infrastructure deal or this families plan, as they call it, some of the moderate Democrat uh, Democrats in, in the Senate might balk at those tax increases. So that's going to be really interesting to watch just how much we get uh, in terms of tax increases. We're going to get some. We're pretty sure that a higher corporate tax rate is coming. But in terms of the rest of the tax plan, uh, that might be harder to push through than the market expects. So you're saying there could be drama out of Washington? I mean, uh, really? <laughs> That's, yeah, that could absolutely happen. Possible, uh, possible. Yeah, yes. yeah, you better believe there. Yeah, you better believe it's possible. Yeah, in fact, it's very likely. Um, so, so yeah, great discussion here, Jeff. Uh, thanks, everyone who continues listening to the podcast. Again, we're going to take next week off. So you can just listen to this one twice. If you like listening to it Monday or Tuesday, just listen to this one again. And again, you can um, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a positive review. If you want to try to help this podcast grow, we'd appreciate that a lot. Thanks to Neil, as always, for making sure this podcast gets done professionally. And uh, when I screw something up, we can cut it out, you know, <laughs> and yeah, thanks helps us a lot there. Um, so with all that, guys, um, have a great final week of May. 
crazy to think it's getting hot down here. My goodness. That's another reason the killer bees potentially didn't do as well yesterday. It was like 94 degrees. And on that field, they say it's 10 to 15 degrees hotter. So it was well over hundred degrees on the uh, field we we're on yesterday, but it's also hot for both teams, but it was, uh, it drained everybody a little bit. So hopefully everybody gets out there and enjoys some summer, early summer here. And with all of that, we'll be back in June to talk about markets and probably the Fed and inflation. That's all everybody wants to talk about, but we'll find some other interesting things to discuss then. So take care, everybody. Enjoy the rest of May. We'll see you in June. And uh, that's it. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.